Some thoughts upon the fifth yard site of my Rebbe, Mori Rabbi Ravara Lichtenstein, Zichr Tzadik Lebracha. The yard site is on Shabbos, or Shodesh Nisan, so there'll be Shirem on Sunday. I posted the Shirem to various social outlets, social media, so the Yeshiva is, is putting together many Shirem, I'm giving one of them Messes Hashem. Still want Shabbos to come in, for most of you, obviously there are people who only hear this after Shabbos, without putting together some thoughts. Each year, um, the thoughts differ, excuse me, and each year you rethink and you come to different angles. I'm in a very different room than I normally, and I apologize about the, the angles a little bit off, but um, I'm in the Shia room that Rebbe Lichtenstein gave Shia in, but I spent hours and hours and hours learning. Torah Misenai, I felt like I was sitting at Harsinai. I'm sitting, maybe I'm standing, maybe about five feet, ten feet from the place I sat in. I'm standing about a foot away from where Vluchensin sat. I'm only in yeshiva because the Talmudim of Shiradala, the fourth-year Israelis, are serving in the army, volunteering, packing food, and then sleeping in yeshiva, so I'm actually giving shir. Don't worry, with a face mask, so face mask and gloves. But uh, I had the schuss to be in yeshiva, and I said, why not just record in the room that was so meaningful to me? This is my harsina. I'd have to be rooms in, in your world that have special meaning. So, I wanted to discuss two issues today. Uh, I've spoken about them here and there, but never really together, and certainly not in the way that helped to elaborate again, hopefully not too lengthily. I remember I used to come home from Shul during the summer, Friday night, and Ravaran would speak between Kabbalah, Shabbos, and Mariv, as far as my memory recalls, an hour 15, an hour and a half, certainly never less than an hour, it would be unheard of. And it can get pretty late during the summer, and Yeshiva Davin, more or less, Bisman, not to get into Kriyashma complications. And we'd make Yiddish at 10 o'clock, 10, 15, with my little children waiting. I don't do it anymore. <laughs> I have older children, and have less patient, they have less patience, maybe I have less patience. Uh, so I Davin Kabbal Shabbos with the Yeshiva, and then make my way somewhere else for Mara, so I can have a more of a relaxed pace for the meal. But my wife would ask me, what did Rav Lichtenstein speak about tonight? And I would say, well, he said that Moshe was a, a good person. And I don't know if my wife said this, but she certainly thought it. It took him, and I thought it took him an hour and a half to tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu was a good person. But Rav Lichtenstein's talks and his thought and what he endowed us with, there's only one word I can use for it. Give me two words. But the word I would use to describe it is the word panoramic. It was never about one particular focus issue, micro-analysis of Moshe's interaction with the Mitzri, or Moshe's interaction with Benos Midian, the daughters of Midian, of Yisrael. He took an experience in the Torah and Chazal, and he broadened it to almost every aspect that that experience reflected. And, and let me explain what I mean. We all go through experiences. We interact with people, with ideas, with events. And none, none of our experiences can be reduced to a single, oh, we reacted this way because we're this type of person or that. It's always a product of all of our traits and all of our characteristics and all of our values combining into one big mix and affecting how we behave, how we respond. We're all very complicated people and our lives and our experiences and our events and ideas, not just our own personal lives. The ideas are ultimately composed of many, 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 many different layers. There's not one single idea. And Ravaran would carefully dismantle experiences, ideas into parts 
and discuss each part. So, for example, Moshe was a good person. Well, what does it mean to be good? Let's first think about different types of good and what are the dangers of being too good? And what's the difference between good vis-a-vis human beings and being good vis-a-vis history? And it would be so that we think about history, morality, relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, dangers of excess, so it was never, Moshe Rabbeinu had this encounter and he proved and, and it highlights it, which I think most people really are more comfortable expressing. And he taught us that panoramic. Very often when I speak, I quote Rav Amital. I just delivered a shir about Rav Amital and the Holocaust it was full of quotes. And I rarely quote Rav Lichtenstein because he's really unquotable. And what I mean is, when I think about Rav Amital, I could find the story that taught me the following lesson. The phrase that highlighted the following value. With Ravaran, I feel like my entire essence, everything I think about, every aspect, every part of my thought process was influenced by him. He gave me the, the mechanisms and the processors. And it's a very, very important tool in life. I call it sometimes to step back. You have to step back and not just address the particular issue you're looking at, but the broader interactions. Last night we had a get-together for alumni of the yeshiva, rabbinic alumni, and someone told the following story just by way of creating a parallel. And it's a nice story. Rev. Lichtenstein, we once had to um, take certain younger boys into the yeshiva, we needed to join the yeshiva, to try the yeshiva. The question was, who would give up their seats in the base matters, who would give up their places in their dorm rooms? And the older boys in yeshiva, um, Factually known in the yeshiva world as Alter Bachram said, well, we're not going to give up our spaces. Let the younger boys give up their spaces because Alter Bachram have veteranship and have rights. And Rav never allowed that to happen in yeshiva. Everyone was equal in the eyes of the law. And part of it, he told us the following story, that when he was in Camp Morris, Camp Morris is the camp affiliated with Chaim Berlin, the yeshiva in Brooklyn. And um, Rav went, and he went for the summer to their camp. He was waiting patiently to play ping pong. And as his turn came as a youngster, an older boy came and shoved him aside and said, we have rights because we're the altar of Bachem and we can play whatever we want. You just have to wait till we're finished. And Ravara was so scarred by that. I must have heard that story 15 times for Ravara. But when he talked to us about that story and he quoted that story, trying to encourage the older boys in Gush in the 80s from um, deferring the responsibility to the younger Bachem, he talked about morality and generosity of spirit and Achnasas Orchim and then he talked about what does veteranship mean? Does veteranship mean you have rights or duties? So all of a sudden, a localized question that clearly had a moral underpinning, and you could have clearly spoken about it in moral terms of this isn't right and you should be more forgiving, all of a sudden exploded into hachnasas archem if you're an older boy, into compassion, into forbearance, into... And it, it taught us so much about the way we process life and we process ideas and events and relationships because it's never really one-dimensional. I think it lends a richness of life, and I'm still working through this on my own, to be able to take an experience that you have and integrate it into so many different larger parts of yourself. And it could be a flaw sometimes. It could definitely be a flaw sometimes to always try to link particular experiences to larger experiences. Sometimes you have to process them as isolated cases. I think my wife reminds me from time to time that not everything has to be bumped up to something larger. But I think it's a deeper way to lead life, that experiences aren't isolated incidents, compartmentalizing from incident to incident, but you're looping experiences into larger ideas. And to do that, you need to have the tools to not just dismantle, but to reduce and to um, 
deconstruct is the word I'm looking for. Your experience is what are the forces, what are the values, and within every value, your multiple values. I think al-pikabal, it, it, it's more reflective of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's essence, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's echad, is not compartmentalized, not like he's Melech Rachman, Melech Adin, raises the sun, raises the moon, Hashem is just everything, and I think then in our pursuit to be more like HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we want our experience to be integrated. I found myself deeply enriched by that experience in my life, in my pursuit of midos and morality, and I think it's, it's a very powerful way to learn, and, and it's something which I think the yeshiva has done a really, I think, unique, I haven't seen this approach so often, but when I learn a sugya, I'm not just learning the stira and tosvos and how to solve the stira and then moving over to a stira with the Ramban and maybe seeing commonality. Every topic is a detail of something larger. So for example, today I gave share on the nature of a father inheriting a son, Yerusha Sa'av. And I went through the various makaras, on many makaras, so it had to be a very, very unique share. But what does this tell us about the other types of Yerusha? And then what does Yerusha tell us about the nature of Bailas, about Kinyan? And what does it teach us about the nature of family? How does, so that little detail in the Tosvos, having to be on that Kuf Chesam base, is part of something larger. How do you define inheritance? And again, those who are insiders to the world of Gemara will appreciate it. And that's why I think in our yeshiva, we try as much as we can to teach topics. And we can't just teach topics because you have to relate to the sugyas. And every sugya in Gemara, it's a lot of details, and a lot of back and forth, and a lot of algorithms, and a lot of ins and outs. But can you have the mental rigor to delve into those details and then try to build a topical approach to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Ratzah? So it was Rav Luchensin's panoramic thought. Another word for it is systemic or systematic. That it was able to help us see experiences ideas, interactions, they're not one-dimensional, they're not one-variables. There are many, many, many variables to them, and the more you're aware, the deeper your experience, the deeper your understanding, the more integrated your experience. So that's the first trait that I think I was thinking about this year, panoramic, and I think, I hope, that if you've heard me speak before about certain issues, I hope there's a small little tonality of that, that it's not just looking at the micro issue, but trying to broaden it historically, morally, interactively, what it parallels, what it, and I think that Tamidim, that where people that have this, it's certainly Tamidim, where Vluchtsin is something that has to be in doubt. It's an orientation, it's a way to view life, and a way to process your life, and your learning, and and I think it's a very rich way to lead, lead life, and as I said before, I think it, it, it's a, it's more reflective of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's integrity, and of the integrity of Torah. Any type of human condition. The second aspect I've been thinking about is the definition of a gadol, and certainly it's not something I'm going to include in a video. But I would say that a gadol is a deep person, depth of learning, depth of religious experience, depth of, depth of piety, but a lot of deep people and a lot of deep religious people. But a gadol combines depth with breadth, with sweep. And I think that in general in life, those two traits are mutually exclusive. There are very, very deep people who are laser-focused and understanding a shach and understanding a taz and, and it comes at the price of depth because if you expand too broadly then that depth will suffer. And then there are very, very broad people who have a broad view of the world and interact with a lot of different values and, and sometimes it's the depth that suffers. Can you be pious and deep and raw and driven? So I think a gadol in general can, can, should combine the two and that's what I saw in Revelations. And in particular, I'd like to discuss one aspect of the breath that I sensed. I think in life we tag ourselves and we say, well, I'm this and therefore I should act this way and I can't necessarily be that as well because they're contradictory and mutually exclusive or I'm this and I'm that type of person in this area and therefore this is the way I'm going to process and respond and evaluate and I can't be this as well. 
And then Rav Lichtenstein, at least I saw, this incredible ability to be both. And I think that's what a gadol is, that you're just so broad that you can encompass experiences which for many people seem exclusive rather than cross-pollinating. And I think it gave me, I'm just speaking personally, the confidence to try to integrate those contrasts. And I want to list five examples. Rav was extremely analytical. In Shear, we sometimes were exposed in this room. Two hours Shear maybe could cover sometimes 10 different ways to view a machlokas or 10 different logical approaches. Again, it wasn't one machlokas, but just our mind were being trained and that Torah is supple and Torah is flexible and Elu Ve'elu Divrei Elohim Chaim and at Harsinai there were, according to the Marshall, 600,000 different versions of Torah, not 70 different versions of Torah. And our minds were just taken across this odyssey. And I'll talk about the odyssey later. But sometimes people are too analytical for their own good. And sometimes in life, there are clear black and white moments in which there has to be moral clarity and moral focus. And sometimes people that are too analytical, they analyze everything and everything can be seen from different angles, have a hard time being also morally focused. And boy, were we exposed to moral indignance and moral fortitude and moral voice. I mean, his whole voice would change. He'd start talking from his gut. It would just get so... I never saw such moral force. I felt like it was in a, in a hurricane, just the moral force that we were exposed to. And of course, what made that moral force so powerful is because we sense that that's who he was. It wasn't just his preaching, it was his behavior and his essence. And there's no, as a friend of mine said, there was no leeway, there was no daylight between his public persona and his personal persona. If you saw him in, in private, he was the exact same person when he demanded of us. He demanded tenfold of himself. Most people demand lower of themselves than what they pontificate to other people. Um, there's so many examples. I don't want to belabor the point, but just so many times there's moral righteousness and moral correctness and I haven't met so many people like that. I've met analytical people, and, and they're very tolerant and liberal and pluralistic, different approaches, which I think is an important value to understand different approaches. And then I've met very morally driven, clear, straight arrows. They don't really have tolerance for other approaches. Then I found Rav being able to understand differences and subtleties and nuances, but when there's a moment of moral clarity, you lock in on that, and there's no two ways about it. And that's one merging that I sensed in him. Second merging I sensed in him. It's hard for me to describe this to you, but he was the most refined person I ever met. Dignified, elegant, his speech, his dress, his manner. I think he, he exuded dignity, royalty. He walked into a room, the room froze. There's no other way to say it. Everything stopped and there was this prince in the room. You felt like you were in the presence of royalty because he had perfected his personality on so many fronts and he worked so hard to be as best a person as he could be. He's really refined and I think he, he taught us that that's part of being an Ovid Hashem, is carry yourself with dignity, speak with dignity, with respect, not egocentrism or cockiness, but... And sometimes people that are very dignified, and they speak genteelly, and as we should, and they, they're, they're very careful, we call them erlicha, sweet people. Sometimes those people have a hard time being the person that chants Yehishmi Rabbah and that screams to Hillam. Rav Lichtenstein was very refined, but he also knew how to express raw religious energy standing in front of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. I can't describe to you his Birchah Satara. I'll, I'll just start. Baruch HaToshem! Okay, I was screaming. The entire base matters reverberated with his Birchah Satara. When he was the Makri, 
on Rosh Hashanah. We felt like we didn't need to hear tequilas. That's how much kavana, and that's how loud it was. Tequila! Screaming. Yehishmei Rabbah, Tehillim. Some of you are watching. I'm sure you remember this. And, and, and sometimes we divide our lives. Well, I'm a refined, sophisticated thinking Jew. My Judaism is thinking about a black gemara, thinking about an idea. And the, some other Jews, they're the mikvah dippers. They're the Tehillim chanters. They're the screamers. Can you be both? I saw it. So I know you can be both. And I want to try, in my own limited, flawed capacity, to be both. That's really the mantra of a gadol, to be both. To have confidence. You didn't want to ask, number three, you didn't want to ask Rebbe Lechensin for a kula. Not a good idea. You can't imagine a bigger machmer. Such a machmer. I mean, he was machmer, not just on minority positions in Shulchan Aruch, but on minority positions in Rishon. Um, I don't have it because my daughter gave me a haircut, so I couldn't really go to the barber, but we all used to walk around with the Gush sideburns, we call them, because we're looking seen, evidently, or at least we thought we're told we're machmashit is rashi. Your pails have to extend to your earlobe. Just one example that a lot of people remember from their days in Yeshiva, obviously many, 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 many others. So he's really, really machmir. The last person he would tell you, don't ask me the question if you, if you. But he was also extremely, extremely forbearing of people and human nature and to other people understanding their condition and trying to meet them and accommodate them halachically when he could. It's a personal level for us at Yeshiva Bachram, but not just machmir about halacha, but about morality. We'd, we'd miss lunch routinely because she would go an extra half an hour and the lunch room would be closed and just about responsibility, duty, commitment, mission, sacrifice. So you've got people that are very machmer, that's their orientation in life, conservative, and those people tend to be intolerant of differences or not forbearing, not recognizing that everyone can reach those levels. They're very passionate, puritanical, and zealous, and they have some other people that are very makeal in life, and they're forbearing and lenient. I think that's sometimes a little bit of my flow, a little bit too much about, let's find an easier solution, let's try to accommodate. Some of the accommodation has to also be combined with clarity, and now if I try to critique myself, I'm a little bit more in my nature. And in Rav Lechensin, you have both of those, but that chumrah and that strong adherence to the letter, and not, you can be both. Don't worry, I don't have so many coolers, but I just feel like I've had to assess myself and inflect personally, I have to be a little bit careful about that. So I talked about his analysis and moral clarity. I talked about his refinement and his moral and his religious energy. I talked about being machmir, and being mekil about human nature. You all know about Rev Lichtenstein, his worldliness, Milton, secular studies, appreciating ideas, even if it doesn't come from the hearth of Jewish sources. He really respected humanity and human beings and they could help him become a better Ovid Hashem. So worldly, so sweeping. He introduced us to people we'd never heard of. It wasn't just the classics, the Plato's, the Aristotle's, the Shakespeare's, the Milton. These unknown 19th century English theologians who fought secular movements that he learned from, it's just, it was eerie. You felt as if the entire world was at your disposal. And, and the panoramic nature of his conversation wasn't just the ideas he talked about, but the people that, he, that entered the room. And then I sat in this room, learning Bavakama, Sukkah, Nidarim, Avabasra, 
Avarazara, Gitin, Meila, and the world shut down. There was nothing more important than the Diyak and the Rambam with the Chiddush and the Chayim. And it's not just to him, you just could care less about the world. The eternity, the self-sufficiency, the centrality of Torah was overwhelming. It all, there's nothing more important than Rabshatan and the Sugyam, Rabshatan tells us, or Diyak and Rabchayim, nothing. And again, we know people that are very worldly and they tap into a worldly base. You know, people for whom it's Torah and only Torah. It was just staggering to see someone who would just combine both. It was just uncanny. Again, it's a confidence. We try to be as best we can. But... And then one final issue, and I know it's getting a little lengthy, but I just really wanted to commit these ideas to thoughts. If I say the word Ravar in the name of our listening to you, most people play word game association, intellectual, smart, bright, worldly. I must think about him, depending what my day is like, but if I have time to think five, six, seven times a day, rarely about his ideas, more often just how kind he was, how sweet he was. I just feel, uh, he once told us a story that they said about, that they said about Shalom Zalman, I think it was, or Shalom Zalman said about someone, he was very close to the Shalom Zalman Arbach. Even if he weren't such a big time, it would have been the nicest Jew in Yushalayim. Ravar told us that story about someone else. I was just, that's you, Rebbe. You've never met a kinder person in your life, a more genteel person, a nicer husband. And, and those who knew him firsthand, it's shocking for people to hear this because he was so frightening because he inspired such awe. And I'll talk about this at some other point. The awe inspired him. I was just afraid to talk to him because it just felt mad. I was afraid because he was scary. It, just, it was like awe, just something so different, so beyond. But he's such a kind and nice and caring and considerate person. Delicate, genteel, soft. I feel his. I, when, I, when I try to be a better person, I don't always succeed. I feel that presence so, so deeply. I feel that presence so, so I want to get into the room. And his shiva, the people that were crying the most were the Palestinian workers from Yeshiva because every year Rosh Hashanah, when everyone was busy preparing for Rosh Hashanah, he would go to each and every one of them and wish them and their family and their wives and their multiple wives, whose name he knew, and their kids, Shana Tova. And the Makolet owner was crying because, and he hadn't lived in Katamon for 10 years before his Petira, but the Makolet owner was crying because he said, I never met a kinder person. I'll never meet a kind. I know, I know I'll never meet a kinder person. I met kind people. I, I, I know that this is my max, the person I met. So can you be intellectual and kind? A lot of people are intellectual and thoughtful, and it's harder for them to exit the world of ideas and enter the world of people and open their hearts and care. And so the message I take this year for myself, and I hope to share, and I hope you don't argue for your limitations. There are great people in this world that combine experiences and ideas that seem to you to be contradictory. But if in your heart you're an Obed Hashem, and your behavior manifests that because of your halachic fidelity and your Talmud Torah. So the core is solid. Around that core, you could link many different hubs. And even though those spokes, many different spokes, even those spokes may seem to be contradictory, they can be integrated. May his neshama have an aliyah and may be a male as Yosher for Am Yisrael during these very, very difficult times.